Immersive reality is an exciting field of technology that's showing a lot of potential in the e-commerce space. Especially in a COVID world where shopping from home has increased tremendously, VR and AR technology has a lot of applications being put to use today. Today, we'll dive into what immersive reality is and what it can do for the e-commerce space. Welcome to Skewed. I'm Steven Osentoski. And I'm Anand Anaki. Let's demystify digital commerce. On the show today, we're talking to Mark Persad, the head of emerging experiences at Moonshot. He's also an advisor to a number of different startups and has a wealth of e-commerce experience building digital products for companies of all sizes and types. Well, thanks for uh, joining us on Skewed, Mark. Uh, today, we wanted to talk about augmented reality and virtual reality and how it's applied to digital commerce. Uh, so I think it makes sense um, for us and for our audience um, just to start with the basics. Can you give an overview just on what is augmented reality, what is virtual reality, and what the difference is between the two? Absolutely. So when, uh, there's a lot going on in that AR, VR space, and I also want to include the term MR. So you have augmented reality, you have mixed reality, and you have virtual reality. And all those uh, combined create this immersive reality space. Uh, so Priya asked, let me quickly define some of those to make sure our audience is up to speed. Uh, on the augmented reality side of the world, uh, this is around creating digital content and adding it to or superimposing it onto the real world. Uh, I think the best example that most folks are aware of are, is probably Pokemon Go, which became really popular in 2016, or something like the IKEA app where you can visualize one of their products inside uh, your living room. As we get to mixed reality, uh, mixed reality uh, is a little bit different in that it requires the use of a headset, but it's essentially the same thing as superimposing Again, digital content um, onto a real-life space via those goggles as the, as the medium. The difference between augmented and mixed reality is that when you think about how you might manipulate or control um, or interact with that digital content that's being superimposed, you can use your hands in order to move that stuff around. Whereas with augmented reality, you're using a physical screen. Perhaps it's your mobile phone. Perhaps it's your, your laptop device. And then as we get to the third of virtual reality, uh, that's when you it's completely immersive. You're thinking uh, spatial sound. You're thinking being in a room all around you or wearing a headset that uh, kind of takes hold of your other senses uh, and blocks out the real world, essentially. This is a virtual world in and of itself. And the best example I have for that are people may have heard of Facebook's Oculus Go or Oculus Rift um, or even the movie Ready Player One where it kind of transports you to an entirely different space altogether. Uh, you might have an avatar and are interacting with other folks. Does that help? Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, and so when we think about, you talked a little bit about this, some of the different formats for immersive reality technology. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those and um, where the technology is today? Yeah, yeah, that's a it's a good question, and it's one that, uh, I think we're seeing move a lot these days. So the formats of these technologies, and I'll try to go through each one again. As we think about augmented reality, uh, that's, that's really, you're going to be thinking about web augmented reality, so something that's a web application that you can use uh, augmented reality with. And the other one is via mobile, right? via your cell phone, um, and some of the Snapchat filters that you might have, or uh, again, 
um, superimposing any sort of image on what's out there today. And so those are the two mobile and web applications that I would say are the two primary formats for augmented reality. Whereas when you get to mixed reality, that's when it's very headset driven. Um, and that requires glasses of some sort. I think it, most folks remember the days of Google Glasses, which I can, didn't quite have the uptick, and we'll talk about that. Um, but now you have things like uh, Magic Leap One, which is another uh, mixed reality headset, or you have uh, HoloLens from Microsoft, which is, again, another headset. Because you need a battery pack, you need something with compute power in order to get that uh, realistic blending of digital content in a physical space. And then with virtual reality, it is all headset driven at the moment. I think we're starting to see some cool like museum exhibits that are VR based, but they're trying to do something where they change, they use uh, projection images around a room in order to immerse you versus a headset that's just focused on your eyes to immerse you. Got it. So do you think it's fair to say as you go from AR to MR to VR, that you're really kind of stepping up the level of interaction that you're having with a, um, I guess, decreasingly realistic environment around you. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's, that's fair. I think the level of immersion is higher, uh, obviously with immersive reality, um, or sorry, with virtual reality. And then the interaction part's really interesting, mainly because you can interact in different ways. And I would say mixed reality might become the more, most prevalent um, interaction model in the future, right? How am I actually blending my real world with this digital world so that I'm one, if it's product development, I'm trying to figure out with, my, with you and my teammates how to create this thing together. And right, someone's in Japan and someone's here in Chicago or you know, in LA and we're all collaborating together. Um, but definitely interaction plays a part across, across all three. Sure. Um, can we kind of go back in time and talk about how these technologies really began. I know personally for me, it was like the early 2000s at Disney and it was like the uh, ride the magic carpet ride at a, <laughs> <laughs> for Aladdin back in the day. So that was like my first kind of experience with virtual reality. But where did it kind of start and how did uh, how have they kind of evolved to where they currently are today for both AR and VR? Yeah. And I, I love that you gave that example, Stephen, mainly because that's how I thought about it too. It's Disney being the first place that these immersive experiences, and we didn't have the technology at the time to do this, but that's where it really uh, came to life for users. Like if I can uh, put you in this environment and change what you thought of as reality, I thought that that's uh, really amazing. And I actually, funny enough, say that the next step is kids sitting really close to the TV. And that's a funny part to think about, mainly because like a kid was just trying to immerse themselves so much. They're so into this thing that like if the closer I sat to the TV, the further away I got from seeing what's in my periphery, right? And I was really immersed in that cartoon or whatever it might be. And today, as you think about virtual reality, you're literally putting a screen up to your eyes in order to block out the other things as well. Um, but as you talk about the technology and where that's come from, Honestly, I believe that the, the inception of it actually started with the military in the 90s. I want to say around 93 is when it really got started. And it had to do, uh, from my knowledge, with um, aircraft carriers and how they had some of the, um, the location-based mapping on it, as well as some of the, the targeting that they would do for some of the, let's say their, their weaponry. Uh, but that's where it all started, and this has obviously evolved uh, to where it is today to becoming a consumer electronic and a consumer interaction channel. 
it's pretty interesting how much consumer technology today started um, either with the military application or space application yeah. decades ago, <laughs> and it's slowly kind of trickled down to the masses yeah. um, over time. There was, was, there, was a, there was a game called America's Army back in the day as well that was used kind of as not only a semi-recruitment tool, but also a training mechanism. And in order to become a medic in that game, you actually had to walk through a building and uh, sit inside of a classroom uh, and take a medic class and exam and this is all within the game so wow i know i know back on the facilities they had certain examples of using vr again this is probably uh early 2000s that i knew of this but uh consumers just the public could play the game obviously not in a vr setting but um but yeah it's interesting to think of how they were thinking of immersive experiences um both you know, for new recruits and also for potential uh, people interested in the army for providing those realistic uh, expectations uh, for what it really looks like to be a part of uh, a military organization. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, as you talk about the trajectory of like becoming that consumer technology and um, there's something that is known in the industry is called zeitgeist fit. And that's kind of when the consumer behavior, the technology kind of just the general innovation atmosphere all come together. And that's like that perfect timing for a technology um, to come to life and really become adapted, I would say, to how people utilize it more so than they what they used to. I think we've seen that with a lot of innovations over time around how s- soon they came out or how many years ago they came out. But it's not only until recently that they find a good application in order to bring it into c- real consumer behavior. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And that actually brings me to a question that I've had, that we've heard about these VR and AR technologies that um, I think almost sort of became like the butt of a lot of jokes, probably because they were ahead of their time. But can you talk about some of the ab- adoption of the technology and maybe examples of poor adoption and examples of good adoption? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's funny to say that Pokemon Go, that, that a lot of this technology kind of goes from the gaming realm and then turns itself into this consumer or enterprise uh, use case, if you will. And AR and VR is, is obviously no different than any of that. Um, so overall, the the adoption, and I might have a, be thinking of a stat at the moment as well that I can share. And, um, the adoption overall has obviously increased over over the years. And I think everyone's still waiting for that is it really going to hit? Is it really going to take off right now? Um, and one of the things that you know innovation and futurists are thinking about right now is: is has twenty twenty provided the year um, or the stimulus or the impetus for that to happen? Because people can't go and have the physical interactions that they used to. Um, and so, with the investments in the digital technologies like AR and VR, and people trying to figure out how to bring retail back and how to bring uh, that experiential shopping back uh, is is immersive reality one of the pieces that are going to help to do that. Um, overall, it's easy to say that adoption is, has been increasing, but to your point, Anando, it's been there's been a lot of poor cases of it happening. Um, and yes, five G helps to bring this even more so to consumers' pockets with with their mobile technology. But at the same time, people are trying AR. They're not seeing a good application for it or a good use of it or it being used very well, right? Even if you think of the IKEA example in 
trying a product at home, right? Or the Nike example or the Adidas example where it's trying on a shoe, right? There are still issues with, I'm going to say it's called marking, uh, and that's understanding what it is in your space and then making sure that the sizing is accurate. And I think that's one of the pieces, the humps that needs to be overcome as we talk about this technology, as well as then the latency that you might have as you're using it. It's like, hey, I'm looking at the shoe on my foot, but then it's not actually rendering the entire thing or it's not matching up with my foot exactly. Um, you know, the nearest, the best example I think I've seen most recently is has to do with art, actually. It's, it's being able to see art in your space uh, and with interior decoration. Mainly because as you're looking for color palettes and you're looking to see uh, fit just from an aesthetic standpoint, like that's been helping in the art world a lot uh, to minimize like sending something back. And artwork, as you might know, is kind of really difficult to ship and then to send back. And as we think about the e-commerce world as a whole, right, like returns is a big issue that they're having. So uh, did that address your question, Anando? I know there was a couple parts to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that that definitely touches on it. And I think another area where we've seen um, similar similar adoption, you don't even realize it because it actually just looks natural. But like with real estate, instead of paying um, upwards of thousands of dollars to have someone come in and stage your, your home that you're selling, they're doing digital staging where you take pictures of the empty space and then they digitally superimpose furniture and artwork and rugs and... Yeah. Um, uh, little kind of knickknacks around the house and it, it feels really real um, which is I think a testament to where that technology has come um, over um, over a period of time where I, people, users are experiencing um, immersive reality technologies without even realizing it which I, I guess is kind of, <laughs> I guess is the point. That, that's um, actually a great point yeah and I, I think to add on to that as you talk about the real estate market they're also using um, immersive reality to do essentially 3D walkthroughs Right? So I no longer have to physically go to a place in order to experience and see the layout of it. I can do that from my couch. Yeah. And I mean, even Google Street View on more of a macro level is a really good example of that. You want to check out what a street looks like or what something looks like. I was um, just uh, using that to see, like, what does this street look like in the springtime or in the summer when um, if I were to go there now, it looks pretty barren. Um, but it's a definitely a, an interesting um, use case for for that sort of technology. Yeah. And I've I've thought about the the example you said, Ananda, where the virtual staging. Say I'm like touring an empty house, and I can pull up my phone and see different different permutations of how this room could be set. Right. That's something where yeah. I feel like it's something where if I go back five or 10 years and it's an empty house, I'm wishing that it was set so that I could see an example of what this house would look like with actual furniture. But I feel like as it evolves, it's getting to the place where maybe I would rather this be an empty room. So then I can have multiple permutations of the different possibilities through this sort of technology. So that's an interesting, like we've kind of flipped the script here where there might be more benefit now using the technology to see the potential, you know, in this one example, um, then, you know, if, if it was physically staged, um, the different experience that would offer and different limitations there. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a really natural transition into digital commerce from these immersive experiences where take the staging example, and let's say you're not buying a house, but you own a house and 
you don't love how it's decorated, for example. Um, going back to your IKEA example, uh, Mark, you can not just see what something would look like, but then you can actually transact from that experience. And I think that's kind of the next step. So we've talked about a few industries, Mark, but can you talk about what industries you've seen really strong adoption, um, specifically uh, related to digital commerce? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll just name obviously a couple, but easily gaming. And I know it doesn't hit the digital commerce world unless you're thinking about in-app purchases, which the world of like yeah, something like Fortnite, right? They don't, the business model is in-app purchases, but not to use the game. But you're seeing gaming kind of blow up uh, in that VR space, which is great. Um, AR is starting, is continuing to figure out what in-app purchases can be like with Pokemon Go and with the Harry Potter world's um, games that are out there. But as we think about perhaps more conventional uh, industries and use cases, um, retail is obviously the, is one that's definitely been trying to pick up on this. As I mentioned, those Adidas and Nike uh, examples earlier, but also the spaces of um, trying on work, clothing or eyeglasses or makeup uh, in retail and CPG spaces. Uh, we're seeing that take off. Right? Places, marketplaces like um, Facebook right? Having AR be a core component for their ad industry for how they reach out to brands and say, hey, that's, have you thought about an AR experience? Especially as it relates to uh, anything on the face because it's easiest to, um, to mark for trying on glasses or trying makeup and getting the color right or trying a new hairstyle and seeing what that might look like. So that's probably the one that I'm seeing the most movement in at the moment. You also have the travel industry, which is uh, moving pretty quickly within the AR and VR spaces. And that's um, two different ways. From the VR realm, it's around trying uh, and exploring a, a different location before you end up going there. Right? And so there's been actual lift being shown from a purchase to go to a certain location because you've tried it in VR and said that you want to experience that in real life, not just in VR. As it relates to augmented reality, though, there's some great applications out there today that just translate signs, right? And that is an augmented reality application of like let me and computer vision of let me look at that sign as I go to Japan and don't speak Japanese, and now I can read it and understand where it is that I'm going. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because I have used Google Translate in Japan to <laughs> figure out how to use a washing machine uh, because it's entirely in Japanese. Um, and using the Google Translate app, you just hold it up and the translations are good enough to figure out what you're doing. Yep. Uh, so that, that one definitely is a little close to home. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, um, especially as we're kind of thinking about um, technologies, uh, sorry, industries that have done this really well. Um, but where have you seen where industries are maybe trailing behind, um, but may have a lot of potential in, in that space? Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to say the industry, mainly because we're seeing so many different use cases and so many different ways that a chief digital officer, a CEO, or a chief technology officer tackle this space. Um, and, it's, and I say that mainly because a lot of organizations are a little tentative to be the first in the industry to do it, and rather they're looking to see if uh, consumers will be there in order to be a fast follower of the technology. I think we see that just in the digital transformation and innovation space in general. Um, so that's why it's tough to say that. And the other use case that I didn't actually uh, have a chance to mention are 
the construction industry as well as the training industry are two other big areas that are seeing the VR and AR spaces kind of boom. As you think about the world of construction and using 3D, um, so using blueprints and translating that now into 3D maps, right? And this takes us away from the world of commerce for the moment, uh, but we're seeing a lot of uh, robust use cases over there. And then training, Steve, I think you mentioned this earlier via the video game, right? Like immersive learning, and I don't need to have um, someone from my staff work with that person in order to train them on how to do CPR or how to change this part of a car engine or anything along those lines. We're seeing that uh, move really quickly as well. So outside of that, uh, as you, <laughs> Ananda, trying to get, to get back to where you are with the, the commerce side of this and how immersive technology has been playing a role, um, I would say that's more brand specific than industry uh, at this moment, just because it, there's so many different levels in that space that we're seeing uh, around like people that want to take it up and, and see how far they can push this right away versus other players in this space that are saying, we'll be fast followers, we think, but we're not ready to make that, that move into this space just yet. And it's also because the technology yeah. itself is rapidly changing, right? And the consumer adoption is, is catching up to where that is. And then the technology itself, as we talk about mixed reality and making that smaller, making more of a consumer electronic, that's also shifting. Yeah, it's actually interesting that, that you say that because um, actually our last episode was on bringing an innovation mindset, not just to digital commerce, but to businesses of all types. And um, I think to your point, it is less industry specific um, and more, uh, more about the mentality of the company um, itself. Um, that if they embrace that innovation mindset, uh, then it's something that they're ado adopting, not just immersive reality technologies, but technology in general. And if they don't necessarily have that innovative mindset, then they are falling behind um, in a lot of different areas, um, immersive reality being one of one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think my initial thought just goes strictly to sales, um, you know, whether it's real estate or, you know, showing a couch in my room or glasses on my face. That's the kind of the first step I take. Can you explain um, any process or like where in the process uh, is the technology being used kind of outside of that sales mechanism? So maybe like within supply chain or, or different aspects that um, maybe aren't as visible to the customer, but are being utilized uh, to help businesses, um, you know, as Anando said, kind of innovate. Yeah. Um, and so think about the other one that I just really quickly add on the consumer side of this that doesn't, that only sort of fits into the AR space. And that's the reverse image search, right? Of just being able to say, hey, like, I see that thing on Anando and I really like his sweatshirt, but I don't know Anando. So like, where did he get that from? And having that fall within this AR space, I think is one of the interesting areas. Um, and then something super futuristic is around having a room in your house dedicated to virtual reality commerce. And that's essentially you step in this room, I want to go to Kohl's, and now my room takes on a, a Kohl's um, aisle, let's say, and I can walk through that aisle virtually and I can pick on certain things and everything goes to a spot in that room, uh, essentially like a, a 3D cart, if you will. And then I can purchase and go through checkout in that way. Now, that's something that's very Jetsons-like, but very futuristic. Uh, as you mentioned, these other areas like supply chain or manufacturing and where uh, Immersive Rally might be taking hold there, to be honest, I, I think in the product development space, uh, especially with physical product development and R&D, 
we're seeing uh, virtual reality being used there in order to help expedite product development. But I don't think I have any concrete use cases for the manufacturing world as a whole um, in that space at the moment. Yeah, I think it's still, I think it's still to me like relatively early where it makes sense to um, for it to kind of be born in the actual sales and um, you know the customer facing aspect because it is also something that I feel like really uh, really shines to customers being able to see that I think it still has kind of the uh, like the wow factor to me where it's like wow this is a really cool tool and um, I think it makes sense that there's uh, probably a, a disproportionate amount um, of focus in that regard compared to maybe, uh, you know, behind the scenes, maybe we're still uh, scratching the surface on the potential in, in those regards. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially for product findability, um, it, it's a, a really good tool. And, and Mark, to your point that you made earlier, a lot of the problems that it solves for businesses um, are actually on more of the consumer side. So how do you reduce the number of returns? Well, you make sure that your customers are really sure about the purchases and you give them the information that they want and you show them how they would um, experience the product, whatever that product is, before they actually purchase it. So exactly. I think a lot of the benefits are on, on the consumer side. Yep. Um, I think one of the, one of the sort of um, medium for this that we don't really think about too much is voice. And I was wondering if you could talk more about voice technology and um, where you see that and how it's grown over um, over time. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. And, and really quick, just for Stephen's question, uh, the only other place, and we had touched on it earlier, is the training side of things. Is you think of like turnover within manufacturing supply chain of resources, being able to more quickly get them in the door and train them up on different machinery or different trucks or different parts within the that supply chain, right? That's where the value is, not actually on the line or anything of that nature. So just wanted to throw that tidbit in there real quick. Sure. Um, and then Anando, great question around voice. So I love that we're touching on a lot of these emerging technologies as a whole and, um, and how these pieces are actually coming to work together. So voice is a, it is an interesting medium and this one's actually been around for over a hundred years. And, and funny enough, the first actually voice technology, which is not commercial related at all, is a toy for kids that picked up on the resonant frequency of you saying the dog's name and the dog would pop out of a, of a little dog house. I know that sounds really funny, but that was the first, first voice um, thing or innovation that I had come across in, in my research. Now, voice is an interesting medium overall because it is so frictionless, right? You take the keyboard away and I can just talk freely, uh, something that is very natural to to majority of folks. Um, and so what becomes interesting about voice and how that might play within the immersive reality world is now the interaction design that you might think about, right? Like, do I touch things in order to interact with it or can I just say something in order to move? to interact with, do I have a virtual assistant with me inside a VR experience that I can talk with that's actually collecting the things that I'm liking and putting it in my bag for me as we think about the next generation of commerce? Um, or in an augmented reality application, without having to use my hands, can I just speak and say, hey, can you show me the five best sushi restaurants on this block? And now my augmented reality mobile application or glasses are pulling those up for me, showing me the real ones. It's almost like bringing 
to people what is a Tony Stark, Iron Man, and Jarvis relationship, right? It's like it's sub, it's augmenting his physical um, view with digital content, as well as allowing voice to be a, a key interaction medium for either hearing or interacting with that uh, the immersive reality, which I think is really cool and where. I would love to have an Iron Man Jarvis uh, interaction model. I think most people think that they would, but it's just me. Yeah. No, and it's interesting. I think as we think about voice, there's a lot of accessibility benefits there too. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time working on accessibility um, for, for digital products and um, having that additional mode to communicate with technology is something that I think would go a long way in terms of assistive technologies. And you think about screen readers, and that's very one directional. It reads exactly what's on the screen to you. Um, but being able to interact with the technology through voice um, is, I think there, there's a lot of a lot of benefits there. Um, so as we think about how immersive reality is applied to digital commerce, can you talk about some of the impact that this technology is having on, say, bottom line and the business in general? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's a great question. I think it's one that every innovator or um, especially in this retail space is thinking about. It's like, what are, how is this impacting my bottom line? How much am I investing? What am I getting back out of this? What are some, unfortunately, I, hate, I always dislike talking about it, but what are some of the KPIs that I should be looking at as I think about investing in uh, immersive reality? Um, and so, Anando, you talked about one of them already, and I want to say that that's one of the major ones that we're seeing, and that's the minimization of returns. Ever since uh, an Amazon had introduced the free shipping into the e-commerce world, and everyone else had to follow suit because they were losing so much market share just on that benefit alone, we've seen the increase of returns so much that there are startups just around figuring out what to do with returns. In some cases, it's a uh, you can just keep the product because it's not worth the cost, the overhead cost, in order to send that, send you a box or a shipping label to then send it back to us. And then we need to go through, evaluate the product and get it back on a shelf. Like that's just too much hassle. So uh, the ability to be able to try on these things or make sure it's the right product in the first place already shows a, an, oper, an OPEX dollar uh, value add to many organizations. Now, the other ones that we like to think about are increasing the customer engagement. So as we think about AR technology and that being in your pocket on a regular day-to-day -day basis, I know some of the stats currently are saying that um, customer that AR increases customer engagement by 66% because it hooks you into playing around with the with the product itself, interacting with it, being on your site longer, all these things which lead to hey, we're more likely to make that purchase because I've been able to understand this product better. I've been able to experiment with it a little bit more. I've been able to make sure that it's the right thing for me. Right? And so where, while, especially while we can't go into a store to visit and, and play with the product, we can at least do that in a different way. So those are two of the ones that I like to, to um, harp on. And then the other thing that I, stat that I've come across recently is that with AR, um, it increases the conversion rates by 11%, right? So you're just thinking about the interaction that went up by 66%. Now you're thinking about conversion that is increasing by at least 11%. Right? Like now you're starting to see how this goes from just being a cool technology that gets you to utilize a product to actually your bottom line and what this is actually doing for that conversion percentage. 
Yeah. And I think all of this becomes especially more important um, as uh, we did an episode, it was episode two, I think, on on the impact that COVID-19 has had on digital commerce. And uh, this is, I think, just an, another tool that um, that companies have to engage with their customers in a way that makes sense in this sort of weird pandemic world <laughs> that we've lived in for the last year. Yeah. And I've thought about a lot about when I was getting a pair of sunglasses, especially, I that's something that's extremely hard to get a sense of without being in a store. And it was something where I was very hesitant on going into a store in a COVID situation because who else are, are trying these glasses on, you know? So having a a site that's able to not only recognize that, yeah, I got a, a big head, so I need a larger size. So the returns is going to be lower um, because I'll get the actual size I want, but then obviously the style and, and how it uh, actually looks, um, you know, not only is that more likely to increase uh, the chance of me buying it, but decrease the, uh, the, uh, the return likelihood because they recognize the, uh, the fit that the certain glasses would have. Yeah. Um, um, so moving, moving forward, I, I think there's a big topic to talk about in terms of data privacy when it comes to implementing AR solutions. Have you, have you seen how, or, or I guess just posing the question, how have you seen uh, businesses staying ahead of um, kind of these privacy concerns um, while implementing these sort of solutions in their businesses. Yeah, and so so obviously privacy and security is a hot topic right now in cybersecurity in general, especially on the uh, after hearing about the the hack with Microsoft uh, in the past couple of weeks, as well as the hacking of uh, cameras within stores like Tesla. Uh, honestly, I think they came out like three days ago. Um, but as we think about data and privacy, Stephen, are there areas within that world that you're specifically thinking about? Or is it um, personal information or is it like face recognition or anything along those lines or both? Yeah, I mean, I think as uh, I think the first place to start maybe is just around people's general concern where they don't necessarily want to introduce a lot of what they might consider invasive technology into their life because there's this sort of undefined or unquantifiable risk associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm glad we honed in on that area, mainly because as we think about voice in the smart speaker world, just to, uh, as a quick aside, there are a lot of uh, concerns around that and privacy of like, when is it listening? When is it not listening? Is it actually capturing all my information, using it for their own benefit, and I never and I never know? Um, and there's obviously been some regulations put in place in order to help with that. As you think about the augmented reality and virtual reality spaces, um, at least with AR, right? Since you're utilizing a medium in order to look at something in your space, as far as I'm aware right now, uh, it's not the applications that do that are not collecting any of the data that you are showing within your physical world. Rather, it's just uh, capturing that you have tr opted to try a product in that space because they, because your retailers want to know, is that actually providing us with lift for that product or is it not? And which ones are being utilized for this, right? Which ones are people lacking in terms of um, real world uh, interaction and trying to see that, but they're not actually capturing any of the information in your physical space to say, oh, like Mark wanted to see this table in his living room um, in Chicago, and he lives on whatever floor, 
Right, and his walls are green, and his he's got real wood floor. Like that's not ca- that level of detail isn't captured. Um, so it sounds like it's pretty similar to web analytics that a traditional e-commerce site is probably already capturing um, as part of your interaction. Right? Correct, correct. That's a great way to say it. Uh, and in the VR world, I I would say that that's even less so, right? Um, mainly because that you have you could arguably fake all the information that you're sharing in the VR space. And no one would really know because it's essentially your avatar in the world that you've made. Um, so I think it's less so an, an issue in that space from what I've been seeing. Okay. So you, you did mention facial recognition um, as maybe a potential area of concern. I was wondering if you could comment on that, how uh, these um, immersive reality technology providers are uh, handling concerns around facial recognition and computer vision. So that is a hot, hotter than hot topic, especially because this is being rolled out in places uh, like China and within uh, local government agencies for even traffic around. Hey, like what cap? What data are you capturing about me or that person? Um, so much so that it mimics kind of what we see in. Um, some sci-fi things is what's called CCTV, which is essentially a computer vision that's analyzing everything and knows everyone in that space. It's very uh, minority report-esque. And so China has implemented some of that to say, I know where so-and-so was for the entire day, right? Like, because our cameras are everywhere and it's picking up on that. And so the US, as far as I know, is still trying to figure out what regulations would be for something like that or technology in that space, because obviously we do have a lot of copyright and trademark laws around your personal identity. There are different uh, regulations for children uh, as a whole, right? Like you can't capture their voice, even on voice technology, because that's there's like a child protection app, right? That you cannot do that. So then capturing their likeness or their imagery is also frowned upon. And then you as an individual have rights to your own image. So if you've ever actually tried to upload an image to stock photos or any of those websites, for the most part, you have to make sure that they're clear of people and so this area of computer vision is really a big question mark on how do you handle that when you're trying to make the place safer or you're trying to provide people with the right experience, uh, yet you you don't know how much you can show or not show or if you have to blur faces or not blur faces. So it's absolutely a concern for people in general, myself included, but I don't have an answer as to like what's going to be the next move that government regulators make in that space. I don't even know that the government regulators know what their next move is. So yeah, uh, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, can can you can we shift over here to how we can begin to incorporate uh, AR and VR into kind of a a tech solution? So whether someone listening is is interested in in learning about the technology and and how they can uh, start to incorporate it into their uh, their business, it, it seems like a pretty daunting task. So um, what do you think are some of the best ways to start to understand and kind of parse through both the benefits and the challenges uh, that these technologies um, kind of present for for uh, implementing it as part of their business? Yeah, yeah, that that's a, a great question. So there's a, there's a few things that we um, share with clients to think through. Uh, The first of which is, well, I'll just name off a couple of them, is one is the integration with your POS, right? Wanted to make sure that that is something that's seamless, I think, that everyone's going to be thinking about. The other side of this is the asset creation, and that becomes 
uh, I'm going to say it, a slightly tougher part, right? How do I create 3D images of my products? And in some cases, you have to understand, can I get away with 2D in some of these cases? Because a 2D image or a 2D rendering of this is, is, more, is helpful. Um, so in a lot of cases, you'll either need to utilize the right platform. And as you think about augmented reality, there's Spark AR from Facebook. There's uh, Snapchat has their own AR platform as well. There's AR Core from Google. There's AR Kit from uh, Apple. And as we know, Apple has been investing significantly within the AR space. Um, especially this past year. So I think figuring out which platform might be the best to use or, or vendor in some cases, right? You're not trying to bring this in-house as a skill that you want your team to have. Um, and then the other thing as I kind of move from like right from production all the way left to design, it's, um, it's around trying to utilize some of the assets that you have today. So I know that there, I want to say in the past couple years, there's been an uptick in the amount of... Um, 3D, not 3D, sorry, 360 images around products on Amazon and on different websites that's supposed to help with that uptick in understanding the product. And so you can utilize some of those images in a lot of cases into turning those into 3D assets that you then utilize in these immersive reality spaces. And so that's another thing of like, how do I reuse what I have today, incorporate that into a platform for AR and VR, and then pull that into and tie, integrate that with my POS system. Now, then you'd need to think about, does web AR or does VR make the most sense for me? And between us here on this podcast, like web AR, in my personal opinion, unless you have high adoption on your mobile application right now, then um, web AR is probably the way to go, mainly because I don't need to download something else. Uh, it's already integrated in a user's browser and easily, uh, easily accessible. Right? And then you can make updates a little bit more readily on your side versus having the user have to um, download and install or upgrade, sorry, update their application every time you want to roll something additionally out. So those are just some yeah. ways I think about it. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because we often um, recommend to our clients when looking at new technology to sort of adopt a crawl, walk, run approach. And I think by using those assets that you already have, it, let's say that you have a, a Shopify site and you sell apparel Putting in a huge monetary investment to build this, um, whether it's like headset-based technology or an app or something like that, is probably a bridge too far as your first step. Um, I, I personally think that starting out small, dipping your toes in the water, um, putting together proof of concept, seeing the adoption, seeing how that's improving your KPIs, and then going from there tends to be a really good strategy um, when trying to um, start out on these more bold um, initiatives and opportunities. Yeah, I, I mean, I would echo that a thousand times, and I know I think about it just slightly differently. I think about it as think big, start small, move fast, right? and I think that it's incorporated in the crawl, walk, run mentality as well, right? Like, I want to get all this stuff into the AR world and the immersive reality world. Where do I start? Let me understand my product assortment, assortment, my product catalog, and see which one of these my customers need in order need to visualize best in order to convert. Right. And if that that might not be my physical clothing line, that might be my home decor line. Right. And understanding that difference on my product lines can also lead to the strategy of how do we crawl, walk, run or start small in general. Yeah. And it, it's funny how much of this innovation really starts with understanding the business that you the core of your business, what it is that you already do um, and really internalizing that and then building 
upon that. And I think that's actually where like we live in the consulting space where we go from business to business. And I think where a lot of consulting teams fail is at the very, very beginning where they maybe look at every e-commerce site as just kind of different versions of the same thing rather than understanding that they are digital manifestations of different businesses. And you really need to understand that business first um, before you can go in and build um, new technology for them. Yeah. Um, again, absolutely. Uh, as as I would just continue to add on to that sentiment, it's a, I need to understand the nuances of that business and I can't, can't just call them all e-commerce sites. But then I need to take that other step to say, how do I understand the users that this particular business has? And then how do I understand the journey that that user has in order to say, hey, these are the things that they need. This is where you need to plus up your e-commerce experience in order to attract them and shorten that length from discovery all the way through purchase. And so those are things that I think everyone should be thinking about. And I don't think that's any different as you think about immersive reality being part of that journey um, and what immersive reality commerce can do for you. It's a design thinking mentality of the, the end user and the empathy in the loop. Yeah. And I think something I've just thought about is how vastly different a uh, mobile immersive AR solution is from a browser-based AR solution and how the hardware uh, in which those experiences are built within are extremely uh, either limiting or can unlock the potential of that application. Because I know for Nando and I, we have to you know, continually think about how a certain experience we're building out for a client, how that is presented in a um, you know, desktop or mobile view. But I mean, they're vastly different just based on the, the cameras that smartphones have, the uh, accelerometers that allow for uh, certain aspects of AR uh, technology. And it's just, it's more so than anything else I can think of is, uh, like you guys have been saying, knowing exactly where your users are using uh, your applications and, and fully realizing the differences that those experiences um through those different mediums uh, provide and, and different challenges and limitations of each, so. Yeah, and, and bandwidth too. I mean, right. we often think about our technology and don't, we think about what it can do, but we don't think necessarily about all the things that need to happen in order for it to do that. And um, a lot of times the developing world gets left behind from a technological perspective for no other reason than they just don't have the bandwidth available to them. They might have everything else and they have the right devices, but they can't get the information back and forth as, as quickly as uh, would be needed. And that's an important thing to consider um, when building any sort of technology. And I think um, immersive reality is certainly no exception to that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's two things you guys hit on that I, uh, I'd call out. One, as you think about geolocation, um, Stephen, I think you just mentioned this, and you think about the world of merchandising for retailers, right? that certain things go to certain stores within throughout the U.S. or throughout the world because of uh, where they think the greatest um, that's the greatest consumer base for them. And so now you're thinking about AR experiences in different places outside of necessarily my home location, right? As I travel, it's not like I'm no longer a consumer. I'm absolutely a purchasing consumer. How, do, how might my experience differ now that I'm in, I'm going to keep using Japan, now that I'm in Japan and using AR versus I'm in, uh, LA and using AR and I want to see something from um, the, the Lakers, let's say, versus something from the Chicago Bulls versus Japan's teams. Um, and that's just a small use case there. 
And then Ananda, you're uh, spot on with, with data and the movement of data between your phone. And that's why latency is an issue, right? If you have a way or you are uh, diversifying where your data centers are and how that data is being moved uh, between phone and, sorry, users, their phones, and then your tower, your databases, that's absolutely going to be necessary to reduce that. And honestly, just make it a better experience. I think most of us will say the moment a website takes longer than three seconds to load, we're like, I'm just going to, I'll do this later. I'll look at it at some other time. I'm not waiting. Um, and the same thing's true of augmented reality, right? As we think about this world of being judged by the last best experience a user had, right? Like emerging technology, unfortunately, doesn't have the benefit of being said it's an emerging technology so I can get away with it. They're still saying, well, the website works as fast. And to the general consumer who doesn't know any better, they're saying, why does my AR thing work this fast also? Well, thanks, uh, Mark, for taking the time to talk to us about um, these really exciting technologies. Um, this has been super, um, super interesting to hear about. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Stephen and Nando. It's a great time talking through a lot of this cool emerging technology and immersive reality space and how that ties into consumers and the commerce world. Thanks for listening to Skewed. We hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about immersive reality. For more information, you can visit us at avatria.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating. See you next time on Skewed.